Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. And today we're going to talk about gardening and plants and how they add so much to our life and bring us joy. And we're talking to an author who's revisiting a very famous gardener and poet. My guest is Marta McDowell. She's an author and a gardener who takes a strong interest in the life of Emily Dickinson. Her writing and garden appeared in popular publications, including Women's Day and Country Gardening, New York Times, and many more. Martha teaches landscape history and horticultural at the New York Botanical Garden, where she's been twice awarded Instructor of the Year. So we're talking about this new version of Emily Dickinson's garden, and we're looking at the many ways in which her passion for plants is evident in her extensive collection of poems and letters. Welcome, Marta. Oh, Patricia, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. What I, I know you've written other books. I know you wrote a book about Laura Engels Wilder, and there was a whole uh, television series about that. What was your interest in Emily Dickinson? Well, Emily Dickinson sort of happened by accident for me. Uh, I guess as many good things happen to people in their lives, I. You know, like most people in high school and college, I had a few Emily Dickinson poems. They never really spoke to me. I always found her kind of puzzling and a little bit gloomy. And one day, I happened to be going across Massachusetts. I was driving. I was on a business trip, and I was visiting insurance agencies. And I had a spare afternoon just in between meetings, And I just picked up a brochure on one of those highway rest area brochure racks. You know how those are? Yes. uh, Off I went to the Emily Dickinson homestead, and I found out that there was this connection. Uh, I was always a gardener on, you know, weekends and evenings and stuff, and so was she. She loved to garden. She knew a lot about plants. She had a little little glass house that she called her conservatory. And she even collected plants and dried them and put them in an album. So it was just, you know, sometimes one of those unexpected trips can just open a door. What attracted you about her particular writing? I mean, what, what was it that really captured you? Well, her writing is unusual. You know, it's, it's not like your typical... 19th century poet, right? If you read her poems and compare them to Longfellow or Emerson, they are kind of modern sounding. And I think that's why people were somewhat reluctant to print them when she was alive. They really didn't get published in any kind of book form until after her death. And so there was this little puzzle, and she's kind of intriguing, right, because you know she was kind of a recluse, and I think that's why she still attracts people, you know, that she's kind of enigmatic, but for me, it was really the gardening that opened it all up, and so then I just went mad for Emily Dickinson and started to read all of her poems looking for garden references and things. 
Hmm. What was one of the garden references that uh, you worked with that you really liked? Oh, one of my favorites talks about my garden like the beach denotes there Mm. be a sea. That's summer. And then she talks about the pearls being fetched to her, you know, just like a tide is bringing in flowers. And Mm. I think of the garden like that, too. You know, it sort of ebbs and flows. And maybe she was talking about poems or maybe she was talking about flowers, but clearly she was a gardener because she writes a lot in her letters about the different things she's planting and uh, all the different seeds she's collecting. So that was fun. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. What about, um, was there anything in her writing that um, encouraged you or motivated you to work with maybe a new plant that you hadn't worked with before? So one that I added specifically because of Emily Dickinson is the native witch hazel. So I had always grown some witch hazels in in my part of the world. I live in New Jersey where it's snowing right now. Uh, Witch hazels come into bloom usually in the late winter. So most of the ones I have are, are different kind of Asian varieties. But the one that she talked about is the native one, and it actually blooms in the fall. So it's a big shrub or a small tree, and she called it in a letter a lovely alien. You know, just it looks like an alien in that it, the, the flowers are these little sort of crinkled, uh, yellow, fringy things. And in fact, it, later in the letter, she says it looks like tinsel, and it really does look like something that you would put on a Christmas tree. Oh, hmm. And so that brings us to this season. Right, because uh, what what can we offer our listeners regarding plants and flowers and shrubbery at this time of year? Well, you know, the winter is wonderful for many reasons. Uh, you know, certainly not driving in it, but when it comes to the garden, winter just makes the trees really stand out. Because they lose their leaves, and the leaves are lovely, but it lets you see the structure of the trees. And she writes this poem, Four Trees Upon a Solitary Acre. And you can just imagine her looking out onto a farm field and seeing these four trees sort of silhouetted. And she also talks about the evergreens. You know, I... I, think the hemlock likes to stand upon the marge of snow, you know, on the edges of the snow. And she goes on to talk about, you know, as if it's coming from the north or Scandinavia, you know, those northern winds. So the mm-hmm. evergreens, all of the, you know, sort of pines, spruces, firs, yes. they really pop in the garden now. So they're so dark and then the snow is white and they really pop out. And they last a long time, don't they, Marta? They certainly do. So it really is like adding a uh, a solid piece of furniture to your garden. Mm. Now, Emily Dickinson had an advantage over many of us in that her father, when he remodeled the house, he added this little glassed-in room, and she called it my little garden off the dining room. And it was a very, you know, small greenhouse conservatory, but attached to the house. And she wrote to one of her cousins and she said, 
have but to cross the floor to stand in the spice aisles. So I think about, you know, stepping into a little greenhouse in the winter when some of the flowers are in bloom and it's nice and moist and warm. And, you know, she just has that richness of language to be able to call it the spice aisles, right? I would just say, oh, it smells really good in here. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, very different. But that, but she brings in all the senses, and I bet you get that in her poetry, you know, the senses of smell and touch and taste and feel and, uh, and sight. I'm sure she brings that into the poetry. Yes, and, and the wonderful thing about reading poetry, I heard someone describe it as, you know, reading poems is like reading someone's diary with permission, right? Mm. That, that someone has written down kind of their real, really innermost thoughts and, and put it in words that make it very you know, sort of accessible. Um, so I, I just liked that image of, oh, we're, we're being allowed to read Emily Dickinson's diary, yeah. yeah, which is, as you said, very personal. Now, you write that there are tips in the book that will show someone how to plant a poet's garden. So what's different from your garden uh, than a poet's garden? What's the difference? Well, you know, anyone can plant a poet's garden, and that's why I spend a lot of time kind of painstakingly cataloging the various kinds of plants that we knew uh, were in Emily Dickinson's garden, either ones that she mentioned or that show up in that collection of pressed plants at the herbarium, or that other people wrote about being there. So, you know, maybe you don't want to plant every single thing that she grew, but maybe you just want to have something you know, that has a little connection to her poetry, to American poetry. You know, it's something that's very um, sort of intrinsic to our country that we, you know, we had a poet like this among us. So it's, uh, it's very special. It makes it a little bit different. We've got a couple of minutes to break. You have some beautiful pictures in that book. How did you get all this together? Did it take you, it must have taken you years, you know, to pick the pictures? And also, did you have to have permission from her family and her publications? Explain the process a little bit. Well, everyone, every image that's there, unless you own it, as the author, you own it personally, like you own a book and it's out of copyright, or you own a work of art that is yours, you do have to get permission from whoever the institution is in general. So in the case of much of the Emily Dickinson material, it's split between uh, Amherst College, which is in the town that she grew up in, and Harvard, which is kind of a long, complicated story of how Harvard got so many of the materials. so all of those things, you know, you do have to get permissions. For the botanical art, some of it came from the Chicago Botanic Garden. Some of it came from the New York Botanic Garden. And again, some of it was from books from the period that I owned myself and could use. 
Yeah, which is great, right? All right, and how can people find the book? Well, the book is available certainly at your local bookstore. They could order it for you if they don't have it in. Uh, You can order it online. Uh, Barnes & Noble has copies of it. Uh, If you need more information, they can look on my website, martamcdowell.com, or the website of the publisher, which is Timber Press. All right. Well, we're going to take a a break for a minute, and then we're going to talk more about this book that uh, Marta McDowell has authored called Emily Dickinson's Gardening Life, and it's a revised and expanded version of the Emily Dickinson's Gardens, which was published in 2005. And the new book benefits from um, Marta's recent experience as a gardener in resident at the Emily Dickinson Museum. And so we'll we'll talk more about this. We'll talk more about uh, the conservatory where uh, Dick, it's not there, but then it was rebuilt, where Dickinson grew buttercups out of season, as well as Cape Jasmine. So we'll talk a lot about this, and it's a beautiful visual treat. If you love gardening, this is a great holiday gift or a gift at any time of the year. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show, and my guest is Marta McDowell, and she's the author, again, of Emily Dickinson's Gardening Life. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. We'll give you the straight facts, offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio on Voice America Variety. Beauty is always a reflection of how we are taking care of ourselves from the inside, and our business is no different. Building your business brand is a direct reflection of you. In today's competitive landscape, personal and proven leadership skills can ensure that our brands and businesses succeed. Join host Bonnie Bonadeo and visionary guest experts to help you find success. Tune into beautiful brands inside and out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. 
Now, back to the Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. We are talking to Marta McDowell. And Marta McDowell is the author of a revised book. Uh, She really talks about the life of Emily Dickinson. And it's a wonderful book that will help us to understand more about Emily Dickinson herself and more about gardening and plants. It's called Emily Dickinson's Gardening Life. And Marta McDowell is an award-winning author who explores Dickinson's deep passion for plants and how it inspired and informed her writing. And she traces a year in Emily Dickinson's garden. And the book also tells very few known details about Emily Dickinson's and and sort of shows us uh, the kind of figure that she was. Welcome back, Marta. Glad to be here, Patricia. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's talk about... um, that you studied in her conservatory, right, and that it was demolished and rebuilt. Explain that. So Emily Dickinson's conservatory was just a little glass room, and, you know, things don't last forever. So the house went out of the family. It was purchased by another family, and in 1917, that family decided to do some remodeling of their own. So Emily Dickinson had died way back in 1886. And so in 1917, the the conservatory was taken down. And so for years, I was going up to the museum and helping out in their garden. And one of the things we would do each summer would be to make a little display of of plants outside where the conservatory used to be. But in uh, 2017, 100 years after the conservatory was taken off, uh, the museum was able to reconstruct it. Um, They'd done archaeology, they'd done all of the fundraising, and they'd taken out all of the bits that had been saved. So in good Yankee fashion, they had put a lot of the windows and doors and things up in the loft of the garage. So they were able to reuse original parts. But it's now back. So if you go up to the museum in Amherst, Massachusetts, you can step out into the conservatory right from her father's study and really get that feeling that she did and what it was like on a winter day with all those south-facing windows letting the sun in and all of those plants growing. Mm, Beautiful. So uh, it was wonderful that it was able to be resurrected and rebuilt. Absolutely. And, you know, all of those things, they do take a lot of money and effort, and people really put a lot of energy into it. But Mm. her letters are full of this little conservatory in the winter. She talks about the crocuses coming up in my little garden off the dining room, and that her sister's cat was eating the fuchsias, thinking they were strawberries. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, tell us about her. Did she marry? Was she always single? What was she like? Well, she lived from 1830 to 1886. So she died in her 50s. Uh, she lived all but 15 years of her life in the same house. So she was born and died in the same house. And wow. for that 15-year period, she just lived, the family moved around the corner Uh, to another house not far away. Uh, She did get educated. She went to high school. She went to a year of college 
at Mount Holyoke. And in high school and college, that's where she learned about botany. Um, So she knew the technical side of plant science, but gardening, she really learned from her mother. You know, like many of us, you learn from your parents or maybe from an aunt or a grandparent. Uh, You know, you learn from someone close to you how to grow plants. And she she once said, I was reared in the garden, you know. Mm, mm. So her life was, you know, as you said, she lived in the same place her whole life. Same town. Yes, she did some traveling. Uh, When she was younger, she went to Boston with some frequency. They They had relatives there. Uh, She traveled as far as Washington, D.C. Her father was a member of the House of Representatives for one term. Uh, They went to Philadelphia. So, again, she wasn't always reclusive, but towards the end of her life, she did really sort of withdraw. So the image that many people have of Emily Dickinson sort of wearing a white dress and being kind of hermit-like is true, but that was just sort of later in her life. And she never really cut herself off entirely from people. She was a very, very avid letter writer. So there is a collection of over a thousand letters that she sent to people. You know, those are just the ones that, you know, were able to be gathered up. So she really did keep in touch. Yeah. Well, that's really, but she didn't have a family, right? She didn't have her own family no, except for her. No, she never married. Uh, she had various relationships with people during her life. She had a serious relationship with a gentleman named Otis Lord. Uh, he was a friend of her father's, so he was quite a bit older than she was. Uh, they did contemplate marriage, but unfortunately he died. Uh, and so, you know, that, you know, we'll never know whether that would have happened. Did she write or not. about that? Do you know that because she wrote about that? Or because um, other people wrote about it? There, there are letters between them. I see. Uh, yeah, that talk about matrimony, um, but, um, and very, you know, very personal letters. But um, she doesn't write about his death, except in her poetry. You know, it's like, how does a poet get material? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, things happen you know, to them. It, it, it's so interesting when you say this because I think about how that's almost a lost art, that whole thing of love letters and corresponding and really getting to know someone in writing, which I think is wonderful. I just think it's, I, I sometimes think you almost get to know somebody better. There's just something about the writing, but we don't see that so much today. We see like two word texting. <laughs> yes, I know. And it will be very sad for, you know, the, the next generation of people trying to to recreate, you know, what was someone's life like in 2019, you know, and what were their relationships like? You know, I can go to an archive and they get out paper and I can look through paper letters. Uh, It'll be different. It will be different. Yeah, it was almost a courting on paper, wasn't it, Marta? You know, like you courted through the letters, Yes, and, and I would say she had that same sort of intensity with her women friends. You know, she would, mm. they would write these 
very, you know, personal letters, not just news, but also their feelings about things. Mm. But, you know, it's from the letters that I was able to glean so many things about her garden as well. You know, she once wrote uh, that her sister was off visiting cousins, and she wrote to them and said, Tell Vinny I see three peonies' noses just out of the ground. You know, if you think about a peony and the way the buds push up in the spring, they too look like red noses. It's very funny. Oh, wow. So we have a few minutes left. So I want to ask you sort of to tie all this together. I interviewed you, oh, I don't know, maybe about a year ago. You you had looked at Laura Wilder's work, and that was all about Little House on the Prairie. That was the basis of the series on television. And now you're writing about Emily Dickinson, and you also teach. How does all this tie together for you, Marta? You know, if you put it all together, how does it all fit into one piece? Well, a friend of mine said that I like to write about stubborn women who garden. Um, I guess I would also say I tend to write about stubborn, generally 19th century women who garden, probably because I'm, uh, I'm attracted to people who did leave letters and things that mm. I can use. Um, I teach landscape history, so I try to teach students about the history of gardening really as an art form, but, you know, that can be a little dry. So it's very nice to sort of liven things up with people who might, um, you know, might have some name recognition. So if you don't know much about gardening, but you love Little House on the Prairie, you might be interested in that. Or if you don't know anything about gardening, but you love poetry, you know, it's so I've I've always tried to build bridges from, you know, people who are writers or artists and people who garden, and it makes it interesting for me to write about as well. I like that kind of detective work of research and putting together a good story. Do you feel that the people that you've studied, who are all into gardening, have some things in common? Beside, I mean, they must all love nature, right? Love working with soil, love beauty. Yes, and have a way to interpret it in a different sort of outlet. And I, I think for most people who, you know, they, they have one occupation, you know, let's say for me, I spend a lot of my time now sitting at a computer keyboard and, you know, in front of a computer screen writing and I love to be out in the garden, not just as inspiration, but also as a break, you know, as a sort of mental break. There is nothing more relaxing than just going out and doing those kind of repetitive tasks that you need to do to keep a garden sort of healthy and looking its best. It's kind of like cooking in a way, isn't it? There's a, you know, that whole thing, there's there's a similarity there. Yeah, and sure. Emily Dickinson was the family baker as well. You know, oh. like there there are things that I do think sort of thread through that you know people who like certain kinds of things are going to like other things that are like that as well. Well, it's been great to have you on. Tell us again how people can find your book and your website and your work and your teachings, and tell us about that. Absolutely. So the book is called Emily Dickinson's Gardening Life, 
and it's available really anywhere that you'd buy a book. You know, support your local bookstore if you have one. Uh, it's available online, and the publisher is Timber Press. Uh, and people can uh, look at my website, www.martamcdowell.com, if they'd like to know more about the things I teach, the crazy things I do, or some of the plants I grow. That would be, and can they write to you? Can people write to oh, you? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. There's a, there's a link right on the website that'll go right into my email basket. All right. Thank you so much for being on the program. It was really delightful. Marta McDowell, give us your website again, Marta. It's www.martamcdowell.com. Thanks so much. Stand the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this half hour. We're going to come back with another wonderful program for you in the next half hour, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.